Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. Greetings, greetings. <laughs> you were feeling that one, John. I was, yes, I was. Speaking about feeling that one, how about our good friend uh, John Blickman? He's always feeling yes. that one, huh? He, he is, indeed. He's <laughs> very sensitive that way. Right, right. Oh, he'll reach around and touch it. He'll touch a man. He'll touch a man. I'm just saying. Those customer services exemplary, yes. Right. A real hands-on guy, that John Blickman. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, if you see him at the uh, Homebrewers Conference, make sure to say, I said hi. I will indeed. Make sure to uh, fondle him for me. Well, and if you appreciate... <laughs> I'll, I'll restrict myself to that wet willy. Right. If you if you appreciate how uh, John Blickman fondles all of you through his kind, generous uh, support of the show, uh, fondle John back by sending a, a, an email to uh, feedback at uh, BlickmanEngineering.com and telling them how much you appreciate that uh, John has uh, been taking care of everybody for, you know, such a long time now. And... Uh, you know, he's had many reasons and opportunities to uh, cancel his sponsorship. But one way or another, we get him to come around, um, you know, and uh, stick with us. So uh, yeah. I think it's the fact that you guys all email him and tell him that you uh, enjoy the show, that uh, it, it makes a difference. And, hey, if you're in the market for some from new gear, uh, you know, check it out. I was in Chicago. Let me tell you a story here. I was in Chicago uh, doing distilling oh. class. Tell us. And uh, I went by um, Maplewood Brewery and Distillery, and the guys there were awesome. <laughs> I and uh, they had these uh, you know great beer and great distilled spirits, and uh, it was funny because they were saying you know um, all the crap I bought is they're like if if we look at it, it's all stuff that has been mentioned on the Brewing Network. They're like, this is all we bought all this stuff because of you. I'm like, well, all right. You know, I mean it was good stuff and they were happy with it. It was just uh they were they were they were like, Yeah, the advertising does work on the brewing network. Imagine that. I was like, Well, yeah, that's kinda cool. Anyways, great guys. We ended up drinking there and then they took me to the local bar and they wouldn't let me pay for anything and I drank a ridiculous amount. Um but hey, I made it back alive, uh just barely. I left them there, still drinking. I'm like, look, I, I gotta, you know, I gotta get up at like six thirty for a distilling class, and uh, they were wonderful. I had a great time. I love those guys. Uh, Maplewood Brewery, if you're in Chicago, check it out. Uh, good folks, good folks. Um, yeah, it just goes to show that we are quality people with quality values and 
good good sponsors. Quality <laughs> sponsors. That's don't, it. John, I told you about lying to the listeners. <laughs> no, you just told me about talking too much. <laughs> don't, don't be lying. Don't be lying. Don't be lying to the listeners, John. Um, <laughs> see, that could have been another segue. Speaking of lying to the listeners, uh, <laughs> Porno Steve. Hey. Uh, what's our what's our first question of the of the evening? We're gonna do a live Q and A um, with uh, this kind of a little random collection of um, interesting uh, questions. Uh, if you're listening live, you can ask some questions of the lovely uh, Bevo in uh, the chat room, or you could try calling. Well, well, it may or may yeah, not work. We'll, we'll yeah. try to figure it out. Four hundred one beer. It's worth. Yeah, it's, it's worth a it's shot. Worth a shot. Yeah. No, you're yeah. nodding. No. <laughs> well, well, worth it. Well, we'll see. I, I mean, what, is what the is show it? worth it? I mean, that's... Look, one that's way or another, it's going to be entertaining, so let's do it. I mean, don't go on a let's pay phone it. and try it, but... Right, <laughs> right, but. right, yeah. If it's costing you any money, please, for God's sakes, don't try it. But um, if you're listening live, you can just uh, get in the uh, the chat and do it that way. Yes. All right. Or okay. send your questions in to Strong at thebrainnetwork.com. All right. There you go. Big thanks and a unique question. BN team. Firstly, huge thanks. Went from newbie to Cicerone, a semi-pro brewer in Amsterdam, largely due to your programming. Now onto the odd problem. I'm brewing at a think tank, and one of their projects is using spent grain to grow fungus on for insulation panels. I might as well be still living in Berkeley. What they must do <laughs> is perform the boil with the grain still in water, no lauder after mash, just go right into the boil. Mm-hmm. It's my job to eliminate stringency and tannins in the final product. My questions are, one, how long does it take to sterilize grains? They do this because they can't grow the fungus if lactobacillus is present, but I can't imagine it takes 60 minutes. Mm -hmm. Two, to avoid astringency, do I just need to keep my pH down close to 5 and keep an eye on it? Or will the heat by itself produce tannins? Decoctions seem to avoid this issue. Mm -hmm. Number three, I was thinking of performing a no-sparge-brewed to avoid possible tannin extraction. Will mm. this thinner mash adversely affect tannin development? Thanks in advance. I think there's so many great questions. I could so I could sit there and talk with this guy for a long time about this. I think it's really cool. Um, so first off, uh, you're not going to sterilize the, the grains, right? Uh, so right. you can... Not unless you pressure cook. Right. And... So there could be mold spores on the grains already that could grow a mold that you don't want. Um, those are going to be resistant to boiling um, or could, can be resistant to boiling. Uh, so like John's saying, if you don't get the temperature up uh, to like 250 wet, um, that's not going to happen. So they're not going to be sterilized. But if the concern is lactobacillus or other uh, lactic acid producing bacteria, uh you boil and you pretty much got it. Uh, you know, they're not going to survive even just a few minutes of the boil. The only reason it, it, it could possibly survive would be, you know, maybe there's some up on the sides of the kettle or maybe, you know, the grains aren't fully heated and wetted throughout or something, something bizarre like that. Still, you boil it for like 15 minutes, consider it free of any bacteria that would cause uh, lactic acid production, Right. The other is the tannins and the astringency. I think, um, you know, the pH for one and then the higher sugar content, too, would, you know, prevent most tannin extraction. 
going to a thinner mash overall, I think, could promote some tannin extraction. Um, so maybe you want to go with the thicker uh, boil, thicker mash, thicker boil, and then drain that off and go ahead and sparge. And, uh, you know, just make sure your sparge water is adjusted. And you should be okay. I don't think you're going to get a whole lot of tannins out of it. Um, I think boiling it for a long time might be an issue. Um, what I would suggest, though, is go ahead and do a, a regular old, you know, brew with your louder and, you know, get your wort and make your beer that way. But get yourself a jacketed mash tun, Right. And so once the once you've done everything, you know, leave it a little wet and then go ahead and turn the jackets on and, and fire up that mash tun and if you got a mixer in there, stir it up oh, and, yeah. and, and heat it up to uh you know, if you get that mash uh up to like a hundred and seventy five, hundred and eighty degrees, I think you're gonna essentially kill off any lactobacillus that's in there or any uh you know, bacteria. Yeah. I would you I'd, can you can effectively pasteurize you know right. uh, four four log five log you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. temperature yeah as soon as you're like one sixty you know wet wet all the way through and by the end of the mash and end of the louder I think you're you're wet all the way through I don't think that's an issue uh, you know I would mix it just to make sure that everything is homogeneous and you're getting heat all the way through otherwise I'd raise the temperature even higher if you can't mix it just so that there's every area has hit, you know, 160, 161 Fahrenheit. Um, and then I think you're good. And so you get to make great beer and then you can still go ahead and heat these things up, this, this mash up and, uh, do your, your fungus growing or your mold growing or whatever it is for, uh, insulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think look at the pH and, um, you might try, and you know, after, after as Jamil says, after the ferment, after the brew, and you've extracted the wort, then maybe acidify that mash some more, get it down towards uh, four and a half uh, pH. Um, that will minimize you know the likelihood that you'll extract tannins um, if you take that mash up to a boil, and that would you know potentially even make it uh, you know more suitable for this uh as a fungus growth medium medium uh to minimize contamination right there you go all right next one steve well water pro brewery hey guys can you elaborate on pro breweries who utilize a well for their supply what to look for in a well how and when to monitor quality how to manage water flow seasonally. Thanks. Uh, huh. Broad. Yeah, I mean, there's a few breweries I know of specifically that uh, do well water. Um, I mean, I, I think as far as managing water seasonally, um, if you're talking about, like, the changes in, uh, you know, water composition... And I'd, I'd suggest going with the Lamont uh, water test kit, uh, the the uh, BrewLab Pro, for for your commercial brewery. That's what we use at yep. Heretic, and I think that that's a, a quality product. Also sponsor of the show. Um, I I can highly recommend that. 
uh, from personal experience. Um, but uh, if you're talking about the, the volume water, quality of water, then, well, you need to have a, a storage system for your water. And, you know, you would uh, offload out of the well into, if the well is seasonal in any way, then you, uh, you'd have to offload it to storage or to a, uh, you know, above-ground storage of some kind. Yeah, so you got some volume buffer. Um, yeah. Now, what about quality concerns, John? I mean, most well water, doesn't it tend to be, uh, you know, higher mineral content? Yeah, most well waters are higher mineral content and depends on the aquifer, you know, what the um, – and the in the region, you know, what terms of what the what kinds of contaminants there may be. Um you, if you were going to brew commercially from a well, you really need to take that water and have it thoroughly tested, um, like you know a city would for you know um, all the you know arsenic the, and yeah all the regular contaminants that, that uh, stuff, yeah. you know state water you know suppliers uh, have to comply with. But don't you do um, that when you when you first uh, drill a well? Yeah, yeah. So I mean that should tell you you know your pesticide levels, residuals, your you know total halogenic acids, um, you know nitrates, um, cadmium, and all the other little um, lead and all the other little contaminants that need to be regulated. Um, assuming you pass that, then uh, you just need to get the brew lab, as you say, and, and look at your calcium, magnesium total alkalinity, sodium chloride, and sulfate, and, uh, and, you know, look at those parameters, you know, to your recipes and figure out, you know, where you may want to adjust those parameters. Um, you may be doing um, sparge water acidification or, you know, uh, calcium additions, or you may decide that you need, you know, if you're in a, if you're in a region such as, uh, you know, northern Minnesota and, you know, North Dakota, where you're on a lot of limestone, have very, very alkaline water, uh, you may need to do reverse osmosis or uh, heavy acid additions to drop the alkalinity, depending on the styles of beer you want to brew. Um, you know, uh, I know of a couple of breweries that have um, installed RO systems uh, in situations like that because they had alkalinity of, you know, 300 ppm as calcium carbonate. And that was just too much alkalinity to neutralize um, with strong acids without affecting the flavor of the water. So um, they they were forced to go to reverse osmosis to filter that alkalinity out and then build the calcium and other minerals back up. Um, yeah, I mean, there's it all starts with the water report. Find out what you have. And then uh, if you need some advice, you know, drop us, send us that information that you get, and we can help more from there. There you go. And, uh, you know, check out that Lamont uh, kit if you are uh, want to check out your water. It's a great product. Uh, I use it. I think uh, it's well worth uh, having if you're serious about uh, being a commercial brewery. You should be testing your water. All right. Let's take a short break. We'll have more of your questions right after this. The 21st Amendment. Watch out! Do you like beer? They make beer. Watch out! Do you like friends and fun? They make friends and fun. Watch out! Do you still like to have a good time? The 
21st Amendment. Watch out! The 21st Amendment in San Francisco, located at 563 2nd Street, two blocks from the building where baseball is seen and played. Try their beers in the pub or try them in the can. Featuring... Monk's Blood. Made with real monk. Watch out! So why not have the best time of your life? Go to the 21A and Sean O'Sullivan will personally greet you with a can of... Monk's Blood. The 21st Amendment. Watch out! This advertisement is not in any way affiliated nor associated with the 21st Amendment Bar and Pub, nor its subsidiaries or affiliates. This telecast is not copywritten by the 21st Amendment for the private use of the Brewing Network. Any use of this telecast without Jamil Zanishev's consent is prohibited. Suck it, JP. Your support of the Brewing Network means everything to us. We couldn't produce shows without you. And we love giving you something extra for that support, like... Brew Your Own Magazine. You already know it's a great brewing magazine full of recipes, equipment how-tos, discussions of beer styles, and brewing techniques. Whether you're new to brewing and just starting out or you're an old pro, you'll always learn something from the articles in Brew Your Own. Plus, there are amazing special issues like plans for building a Brutus 10 system, 250 classic clone recipes, and the Home Brewer's Answer Book. Brew Your Own Magazine and BYO.com are awesome resources for any any brewer, whether for yourself or as a gift, when you subscribe or resubscribe from the Brewing Network homepage, you directly support programs like this. Get a great magazine and support the Brewing Network. Subscribe to Brew Your Own right from the BrewingNetwork.com. heard about White Labs Pure Pitch Yeast. Pure Pitch is yeast grown right in its final packaging. That means yeast that has never been exposed to the environment. And White Labs Pure Pitch Yeast for homebrewers is now available to everyone at homebrew retailers nationwide. Easy to use, perfectly sized, and ready to pitch. White Labs yeast packaged using their FlexCell process ensures the purest yeast on the market. Visit whitelabs.com to learn more about Pure Pitch, FlexCell technology, and how it's created. Then visit a homebrew retailer near you for your own perfectly sized package of Pure Pitch yeast. And you can say hello to your own little friend. www.whitelabs.com Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. Uh, having a fun old time in the old studio tonight. Uh, more questions, porno, Steve. Yes. Does your mother refer to you as porno or Steve? Um, She doesn't know about any of that she call you pornography steven <laughs> <laughs> yes she calls me by my full name, full name. pornography pornography steven when i'm in trouble that's yeah. what she says pornography steven get, get, get down here right now <laughs> yes uh pornography oh, steven my poor uh. mother <laughs> <laughs> all right brewery in planning bright tank question ah uh, yes Jamil, I seem to remember recently hearing you talk about unitanks and bright tanks, saying that you use the conical unitank for everything. Mm-hmm. 
Did I understand correctly, and can you please elaborate? What are the pros and cons of dropping the yeast and temp and using the conical as a bright tank? Why do so many breweries use bright tanks? Thank you for the clarification. So, uh, you know, the difference between a bright tank and a unit tank is, well, the bright tank has a, a, a dish bottom, right? So the, the kind of the theory is, well... You'd pump over your from your fermenter over to your bright tank and then let it settle, and there's a big, broad dish there. So I guess in theory, maybe you can get more beer out. I don't know. Um, I was talking to uh, uh, Matt Brindleson at uh, Firestone about this very thing when we were setting up, and I'm just like, so is there any reason to really get a bright tank? I said, I, I see no value in it because I could just use a unitank instead. And he goes, yeah, there's there's no reason to unless that cone, the cone does not hold as much beer as, you know, a straight wall with a dish bottom. And so if you're really limited by the height of the tank and you want to get more beer packed into a space, then the dish bottom is going to get you a little bit more beer in there. But... You know, the unitank, I can use that for fermenting. I can use it for everything. The problem with a dish bottom is the reason you don't use those for everything is all your yeast would settle on the bottom. You wouldn't be able to get your yeast out. Um, It's nice having the the cone bottom. It's easier to dump a lot of the yeast and, and really remove a lot of the material. Versus trying to scrub it all out or blast it all out with water afterwards. Yeah. yeah. So um, brewers very often serve from bright hand, bright tanks too, right? I mean, one of the things that you know it seems to be more common to be able to get a bright tank, a dish bottom that is capable of higher atmospheric pressures. But you should be able to get a unit tank that way too. I think it's just more common to find them uh, in bright tanks. And so you know, if you're on the used market or something like that, and you want to quickly carbonate into the bright tank or something like that, and you want to get up to like you know. 60 psi well then or 30 psi not 60 uh, 30 psi then uh you know then you're maybe more likely to find a bright tank that way but there's really no i find no no reason to use it because for me just getting another unit tank um if i want to use it as a fermenter i can so that's yeah. kind of but i mean you know if you had well maybe i mean if you're like a small brew pub and you have um, fermenters that you're using for, you know, fermentation, then maybe you have bright tanks that you would, you know, serve beer from for an extended period of time. And you wouldn't want to potentially tie up a fermenter for a couple of weeks serving a beer. Right. Uh, when you, well, a lot of times they'll have, you know, serving tanks, specifically so unjacketed tanks that go into, you know, a cold storage and they'll yeah. use those as serving tanks, so they're they're built like bright tanks. They're just um, you know no no cone on them, and they'll um, you know uh, be unjacketed. Mm-hmm. So, I think I, I think that's your answer. Yeah. Cool. All right. Next question. I read, I think, in How to Brew. That malting activates beta-glucanase. Does this mean yeah. that malted, malted wheat 
rye or oats don't provide the body that unmalted versions of those grains provide? Does it also mean that malted versions don't provide the same lottering problems? Thanks. John and Jamil's illegitimate son. <laughs> I don't remember him. Do you, Jamil? I anyway. mean, it, it could have been that night back in uh, in Denver. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Denver. Don't remember Evo that. unwilling to listen. She, she took her, her earphones out. <laughs> Um, yeah, um, malting does a lot to break up the beta-glucans, which are, um, in the cell walls, you know, in between the starch molecules, or, uh, sorry, the starch granules, uh, in the, in the wheat or oats and rye and so on, in the endosperm. So, yeah, unmalted will provide more beta-glucan than a malted version would. Uh, so you do get more body from unmalted wheat than, say, malted wheat. Um, but brewing with unmalted wheat, a high proportion of unmalted wheat or rye or oats, can be a real bugger to lauder. Um, you will, I mean, it's like trying to trying to lauder a bowl of, you know, porridge, um, that is essentially, you know, unmalted oats, uh, but simply unmalted oats, raw oats that have been flaked to aid their solubilization. And when you cook them up, you've got porridge. There's no way you're going to drain the liquid out of that and leave the oats behind. Um, So uh, there's a very good reason why we malt the grains that we brew with. Uh, So... um, I guess what I'm trying to say is don't go overboard adding unmalted oats, rye, or wheat to your brews in the attempts to get lots more body. Um, you can easily go overboard on that. All right. Next question. Did I capture that question well, I think? I think so. I believe okay. so. Stainless versus glass fermentation flavor. Ah. I could go on and on about how much I like listening and have learned from your show, but I know you guys don't really like all that, so I'll cut to the chase. <laughs> when I was in Italy last year, I had the opportunity to taste the same wine produced in three different fermentation vessels, which were chestnut wood, stainless steel, and glass. The wines tasted drastically different. Needless to say, the barrel aged had rounder, softer tannins, and tasted the best. However, from a homebrew perspective, the most interesting was the difference between the stainless and the glass fermenters. The stainless steel had very bright, pleasantly sharp, pronounced flavors. In contrast, the glass tasted pretty dull and subdued, even a little muddled. Overall, the stainless was by far a superior. They tasted like two different wines. Thinking about it from a homebrew perspective, I wonder if I'm hurting my potential to make high-quality brews by using glass carboys. Judging from this wine experiment, that is certainly the case. How much, if any, flavor impact do you think using stainless steel has on homebrew as compared to glass or plastic? Sorry about the two-part question, but I'm also looking into purchasing a stainless fermenter. Do you think it is worth it to dish out the 400 for the SS Conical? Will the $200 SS Stainless bucket do the trick? Is the valve for collecting tuffing yeast really worth the extra $200 while still be able to use the bucket as a primary and secondary fermentation? So I got, I got two things on this. The first is... 
I would wonder if it was the power of suggestion. And it's like, you know, it's like tasting something out of the stainless, tasting it out of the glass and going, oh, man. You know, it's, it sounds like he's really wanting to buy stainless. And yeah. so there is the, and you got to ask yourself, sometimes you will fool yourself into the, the, the thinking of, oh, it tastes better because it came out of stainless. Or it tastes better because, you know, it, it, and we see this all the time. It's like, well, it was locally grown, so it tastes better. It's like, yeah, but it was grown in a really crappy farm and it doesn't taste as good as what you could get out of state or uh oh you know it's it's this and that it's you know it's it's the trendy cool thing that affects all of us and so you know the thing we love and we 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 want and so we believe it's better it is better so i'd say you know do a blind tasting i don't doubt that there was differences between them but i'd you know it could have been other factors right i'd be careful about that and then um the other is, uh, I would believe that the differences are, are far more related between stainless and, and glass uh, or, you know, a oxygen barrier plastic like the better bottles. I would say the difference is more related to the shape of the fermenter versus the actual material it's made out of. As long as it's generally inert to any sort of interaction with the beer or wine, as long as um, you know, there's no oxygen. And wine is a different ingress. beast than beer. Sure, sure, sure. The acidity and the and the alcohol and all that. So you know, I don't with a wood barrel. There's air uh, coming in, and you know, a lot of other factors. But uh, when I was homebrewing, I did a um, an experiment on uh, fermentation. I didn't take it very far, but I did some fermentations with a glass carboy with a, a corny keg and with a stainless conical. And I did see a little bit better, a little quicker and a little bit better attenuation with the stainless conical. And my, I was surmising at that time that, you know, the convection currents that are set up in, in the conical were perhaps uh, promoting that. I don't know this for a fact, but, you know, the... The, the ferment, fermenter vessel shape has a great impact on the, the finished product and attenuation. So, for example, the Yorkshire Square that we were talking about in a, in a show a couple of shows ago, uh, you know, the, the square corners actually act as traps and dead zones for fermentation, so you don't get as much fermentation through there. And that actually results in slightly higher uh, diacetyl levels in the finished beer. Uh, if it's round, you don't get those dead corners. So, you know, the amount of mixing in the vessel. Now, there could be other factors, you know, how the, how things were done, but um, that would, I, I would surmise, is, is the difference. That said, I won pretty much most of my awards homebrewing in glass carboys or plastic better bottles. I did all the conical stuff for a while, and then I gave them away because they were more hassle than they were worth to me. Um because I was doing a lot of brewing. So I think doing a lot of brewing and paying attention to fermentation and all that is far more important than any particular piece of gear. That said, stainless conical is pretty damn cool. Yep. Mm. They're, they're, they have their merits. Um, just uh, just the other day, a blog post came out on the Brewlosophy website where they compared um, plastic a plastic carboy to a glass carboy 
And um, long story short, during, using a triangle test, blind triangle test, uh, they could not find a significant difference between the beers. Right, because so, yeah, they're shaped, shaped very similarly, and I don't, I yeah, don't think you would yeah. find a difference there. I think when you get the conical, or, or like in my case with the uh, the corny keg, the tall thin corny keg, horrible for yeah. fermenting in. You don't get nearly the attenuation. It's it's the wrong thing to to ferment in. So you think we need kind of need more information for this as well? Right. I, I don't doubt that there could be a difference, but again, it's going to be based on the shape of the fermenter, not the material it's made not of. Not as much, yeah. So if material. you had a plastic it, conical, I think you would get just the same effect as you get out of a stainless conical. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. And there could have been a huge difference in the headspace of the two fermenters, too. True, true. Uh, that, you know, I mean, there are many other factors that, other than just simply fermenter material that could be affecting his perception of the flavors, so... So there you go. All right. Yeah. Let's do one more, and then we'll take a short break. Okay. <clears throat> Hi, guys. I do two-gallon all-grain batches in a stainless steel pot on my stove. I chill the whole pot in an ice bath in my sink. Will the drastic change in temperature from my stove to the ice bath <laughs> damage my pot? Could the stress on the pot lead to off flavors in my beer? Thanks. No. Okay. Well, I mean, I think, not damaging it any more than, you know, just normal heating and cooling. Anyways, if you cooled it slower, would it, you know, the, the metal fatigue, I guess, would be the only thing. But really, you're going to have to heat and cool that pot, like, how many thousands of times to really, you know. And I think it's one of those things it. that's like, as long as it's not actually rusting or there's no right. well, you know, stress in So every time metal, you, you heat up metal... And cool it down. Sure. It, it's Changes you're expanding shape. it. You're expanding it and contracting it. Yeah. And it's like taking a paper clip, bending it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Eventually, it breaks. Why? Yeah. Because the metal fatigues. Yeah. The same thing would happen in the pot, but uh, you know, Therm- yeah, it's the gonna, thermal stresses it's gonna take are really small. It'll take time. It's going to take a lot of you know. I wouldn't worry about. It. I worry more about the quality of the beer versus. You know, you maybe you know you could cool it slower or something like that, and eke out like you know 20 more uses out of it you know i I just don't think over the you know thousand uses or two thousand uses it's really worth uh compromising your beer to save a two gallon pot and i don't think it's negatively affecting the flavor i think you're doing the right thing trying to rapidly chill it down yeah 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 you're not you're not gonna i mean 300 series single phase material you're not you're not undergoing any phase change um, it's simply thermal expansion and contraction. Um, there's there's nothing constraining the pot, you know, as it shrinks and in contract or and expands and contracts. So, yeah, you're you're not going to affect it, and you're not going to affect the beer by chilling it quickly. You're not going to negatively affect the beer by chilling it quickly. The word that is. Yeah, there you go. All right, let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll have more of your questions right after this. A few things happened 30 years ago. ARPANET migrated to TCPIP, and the Internet was born. Revenge of the Jedi was renamed Return of the Jedi and opened in theaters. Mila Kunis and Emily Blunt were born, beginning a rad 
fantasy in my mind. But all of that pales next to the fact that Hop Tech opened its doors and began blowing homebrewers right out of their mash tuns. Hop Tech doesn't fuck around. Real people shipping awesome shit straight to you. Their new website is fast and easy to navigate. Or just call 800-379-4677 and let badass bitch Jade and the gadget guy Roberto blow their warm load of customer service all over you. So visit the site or visit the store in Dublin, California and support those that support you. Get your brewing on at hoptech.com. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. This is Jamel Zanishev, and I want to tell you about Heretic Evil Twin. You might be familiar with my homebrew recipe, which uses massive late hopping to create a balance between the malty sweet and the hoppy bitter, along with an outrageous malt and hop character. I wanted a beer with the same bold hop and malt character, so we played around with the homebrew recipe until we were able to make a great commercial version, too. We've created a beer rich in malt character, full of caramel, toast, biscuit, and an ever-so-subtle roast note. On top of that, we piled in an insane amount of citra and Columbus hops at the end of the boil, as well as in dry hopping. This damn-the-cost approach to hopping gives Heretic's Evil Twin a great blast of citrus and tropical fruit that can't be matched by any other hop. The result is a bold, malty, hoppy, but easy-drinking beer. This is our top seller, our flagship beer, and I couldn't be prouder of it. Cheers. To find Heretic Beers near you, click on Find Some at hereticbrewing.com. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and the freshest ingredients backed by the best customer service in the business. Do you like to mash using efficient fly sparging but would like an easy way to heat your strike and sparge water? Enter the new Brewer's Edge Electric Mash Water Heater, a plug-in, anywhere, precisely controlled heater for strike and sparge water ditch the fumes and second burner and make mashing easy go to williamsbrewing.com today and browse their vast selection that's williamsbrewing.com orders placed by 4 p.m pacific time weekdays ship the same day brewing is easy the williams way In my beer again. What? Why? It's just too ridiculous. Insane prices, stupid contracts, high shipping costs, crappy selection. Dude, you need Nico Brew. Nico Brew will rock your fing face right the f off your fing skull. $5 shipping to all 50 states, plus fantastic international rates get you low prices on Nico Brew's great selection of hops and more. Whether you're a home brewer, a pro brewer, or a homebrew shop owner, Nico Brew can get you the hops you need in increments big and small, single orders, spot buys, or full contracts. And there's only one place to join the uber-special secret elite bare-bones club where you'll get the best deals anywhere. Holy f***ing shit! NicoBrew.com N-I-K-O-B-R-E-W NicoBrew, your bare-bones buddy in the brewing business. Grog tags aren't just for labeling your home brews to hand out to your friends. They're the perfect way to round out your personal brewing marketing. 
Bringing your latest beer to a funeral? Craft a metal sign to go with it. Heading out to Little Liam's Bar Mitzvah? Grog Tag custom bottle caps are awesome. Couldn't get out of jury duty this year? Grog Tag the hell out of the deliberation room with reusable labels. Grog Tag has an awesome array of products just waiting to be customized by you. Metal signs, coasters, tasting mats, bottle caps, tap handles. It's all there waiting for your designs at Grog Tag. Liven up your next party with the widest selection of custom products ever offered by a sponsor of the Brewing Network. Grog Tag. At least your beer will look good. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. We put the technical in. The testicles. Yes. We put the hoe in the ho, ho, ho. Speaking of putting the hoe in, uh, have you uh, gotten enough, John? Uh, not not lately. Uh, I bet you'd love more, right? Yes, I would love more Bruce Strong. AdamandEve.com <laughs> wants to give you more. Uh, they give you more by sponsoring the show, so don't don't yeah. be bashing on the Adam and Eve. They're paying, so you don't have to. I just keep that in mind. And if you mm-hmm. use the offer code, so if you're offended, you, you just just take a chill pill because they're paying money, so you you don't have to pay for the shows. You can choose to pay for the shows or just, just relax for a few minutes. All right, <laughs> so they're giving you, you use the offer code Jamil J A M I L at AdamandEve.com. You're gonna get ten free gifts. They're going to give you a sexy surprise for her, a sexy surprise for him, and a little something you both enjoy, um, a bump or something. Uh, plus, you're going to get six full-length adult DVD movies uh, and free shipping. So there's your ten. Free shipping, six DVDs, three other gifts, and uh, you can't beat it. AdamandEve.com. Use our code Jamel. J-A-M-I-L. All right. Uh, next question, uh, pornographic uh, Stephen. <laughs> Hello, gentlemen. I am taking a master's in brewing and have to decide on a thesis topic. In your opinions, what is a topic about which a thesis-level understanding would best improve the beer I brew? <laughs> Does that make sense? Christ, I hope my thesis is better written than that question. <laughs> a couple, couple English classes, maybe. Yeah. Come on, so thesis level I thought about this topic. And I was thinking uh I don't know you'd say John but I would go with uh something to do with fermentation. I mean it's it's yeah. it tends to be the least understood by most brewers and it tends to have the greatest impact on the quality of the finished beer. I agree. Yeah. I mean there's other things you could do. I mean you could study a lot of other things. Yeah. Um you know on any ingredient in the supply chain. And how, you know, the various parameters of it, conditions of it, uh, you know, like hob oils or, uh, you know, proteins and malts or whatever affect the final product. Um, mm-hmm. Or you could, you know, you could look at water and, you know, the, the uh, you know, minerals in the water and how they affect the final product. I mean, you could, you know, you could look at the boil, you could look at the mash, you could look at, you know, any of the, all yeah. these number of things. But 
I still really think fermentation is the one that really uh, has the greatest impact. At least for me, that's that's what I would. So maybe catch. something that's not completely well understood, and that that's pretty much most. Questions. That's pretty much most of brewing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, all just theory, right? Uh, there's some things that are known and known Solid. better, and yeah. I mean, they, there's a lot yeah. of research that has been done, and a lot of brilliant people have put mm-hmm. a lot of effort into figuring out a lot of stuff. But I, I still think there's there's so much that's really not 100% known, especially how to manipulate and, and control a lot of the parameters. Yeah. The, the, we know a lot more about yeast today than we did, you know, even 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but And so, yeah, I agree that I think yeast role in fermentation, you know, what the how the environment affects the yeast, um, you know, would give us continually better understanding of fermentation and beer quality. Um, I think pH changes throughout the brewing process is another good area to look. Um, getting better definition of that. Um, you know, uh, the degree and mag, you know, the degree and direction and magnitude of pH changes throughout the brewing process. Um, you know, defining those better because right now mainly we know generalities. Um, we don't know a lot of specifics around pH and how how pH changes affect uh, the yeast, for example, and uh, do they do they change uh, which um, fatty acids and amino acids they uh, process as a result of pH changes in the process, or you know, or vice versa. So, um, yeah, there's a there, there's a lot to explore in, in fermentation. Right. I think that's, uh, you know, another fruitful area. All right. Uh, next question. All right. Hey, guys. What would be the result of adding something like donuts or cinnamon rolls to the mash? <laughs> Aside from the obvious flavor contributions, found a recipe calling for a half dozen chocolate Krispy Kreme donuts and was wondering if, <laughs> if the bread would affect the gravity or the clarity or anything else I may not be thinking of. Well, I mean, I think besides all the sugar that's right. hanging out in it. Sugar's not a big deal. Uh, it'll ferment out really quick and mm-hmm. not add a lot of residual flavors. Um, I think that, I mean, it just depends on what the, what the proportion is. If it's, you're adding so much sugar that you're adding like 30 40% simple sugars, I think that could be an issue. I think the biggest thing that I would be concerned about um, would be fats. I mean, you know, yeah, maybe the level of fats could be pretty high. And yeah, like who that. knows what's in Krispy Kreme donuts? Right. Yeah, and and the oxidation of fats will can you know really damage the flavor of the beer mm. and uh, promote staling later on. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got the the bread itself. That's going to be goopy right um, i mean the enzymes might break down you know any of the starches yeah. or whatever I, I would think that uh that's a possibility i mean yeah, you, the, the fried part of the the dough that may not but you mean goopy as in like it'll be hard to filter out yeah you may end up you know Clogs. making the waterability of the mash more difficult mm-hmm. right um the flavors of the donuts i really don't think would survive uh, the boil and now these were and, chocolate, so maybe yeah. they're you know and I I don't know how much six Krispy Kremes would 
relate to i mean it, it depends on the rest of the beer if it's got a lot of uh you know if it's a high grain bill and then six donuts is almost nothing or if it's a small beer and six donuts is half the weight of the mash he linked the recipe but then uh you know then it may you know impact it uh somewhat a little bit more i think mm-hmm. that would there be a flavor difference yes in a very tightly controlled, I think, you know, triangle test and very tightly controlled brew and fermentation. Yeah, you'd probably get some subtle differences, but it wouldn't be much. I think it's more yeah. just for the, the fun of it and the, you know, the, the saying it. Yeah, the gimmick. What about John the gravity said. or the clarity? Nah. Not so much. I mean, the sugars will add to the gravity. The starches probably won't convert a whole lot. I mean, some of them will maybe, but... Um, yeah, clarity. You should be able to get it nice and clear. I wouldn't think it would be that difficult to clarify after that, would you, John? I I don't think so. But you know, on the, then again, nah. Yeah. It's it if if you, the issue is more the fats. Than yeah, anything. the fats are yeah. the do, the donut may actually convert. Mm-hmm. Um, the starch. And, but you'd have to you may have to mash it quite a long time right stir it vigorously to help break it up yeah get it mixed uh-huh. in well get it exposed yeah. to the enzymes yeah yeah okay all right i think that's a solid answer at least i'll, I'll go yeah. with that answer cool all right, all let's, right. Yeah. Let's, let's take a short break and when we come back we'll have more of your questions right after this. Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high-temperature march pump, and either a top-tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new brew easy since the first time the brewing network microphones turned on more beer was behind it more beer sponsors the programming on the bn because like you they love brewing and like the brewing network they love sharing their knowledge morebeer.com isn't just a website to place your next equipment or ingredient order morebeer.com also gives you access to free beer information that will make you a better brewer go to morebeer.com and click into the learning center you'll find podcasts technical facts video tutorials and more including access to the buzz more beer social network of more than 5,000 members and some of them might even be crazier about beer than you are get over to morebeer.com today and take advantage of the buzz the forum the learning center and make sure you're signed up to receive the newest more beer catalog more beer bringing you absolutely everything for beer making 
When I order a beer, I want my server to know more about it than I do. I want someone who enjoys good beer and loves helping others enjoy it too. I want someone who knows how to pour a perfect pint for every beer style. I want a Cicerone. The Cicerone Certification Program is creating the type of people who help you enjoy great beer. Home brewers and craft beer lovers know beer is more flavorful and complex than ever, and it takes some serious knowledge to store and serve beer right. Cicerone's no beer. There are three levels in the Cicerone Program. Certified Beer Server, Certified Cicerone, and Master Cicerone. Cicerones are truly the sommeliers of beer. The best beer locations have a certified Cicerone on staff. Relaxed and unpretentious. Cicerones are tested on storing and serving beer, beer styles, flavor and tasting, the brewing process and ingredients, and pairing food with beer. Learn more about your next beer guide at Cicerone.org. Certified Cicerone, because it takes top talent to present a perfect pint. Ken Grossman of Sierra Nevada Brewing Company says making great beer is hard. Making the same great beer every day is harder. Brewers Publications announces its latest release for breweries of any type and size. Quality Management, an essential guide for brewers by Mary Pelletieri. Proper quality management for small, regional, and national breweries is critical. Whether you are an established business or brand new, learn the best ways to create and manage a quality system in your brewery. This book will guide you in developing a comprehensive program that will grow with your brewery, help ensure quality processes in the brewery, and continue providing great beer for your fans. Quality management for breweries is critical for continued success. This guidebook teaches you to integrate quality management in every level of the operation. It will guide you in developing a comprehensive program to ensure quality processes in your brewery. Quality management, an essential guide for brewers, now available from Brewers Publications. Learn more at BrewersPublications.com. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. And we, uh, we have a question in the chat room, Bevo, because you can you can ask questions live. I do. I, uh, this is from while you're listening to the shows. Yes, Renwick. <clears throat> oh yes. Mm. You know, you know. I always like my my wick to be Ren. You know. Yeah. Um. Okay. Starting it. Sorry. I think I. Whatever. If I have a starter on a stir plate that develops a thick Krausen that covers the surface completely and doesn't seem to move when viewed from above, is the starter still getting the oxygen needed? Should the stir plate should the stir plate be keeping the starter surface clean and the dimple exposed to Does that make sense? And the dimple exposed to be doing its job of getting oxygen from the surface? Right. I mean generally it's exchanging the liquids. Uh, at the surface so that, you know, they can take in more oxygen. And if if you're not getting a clear liquid surface, I mean, I would turn up the speed of the stir plate a little bit more. So you, you're drawing in a little bit more and, and exchanging the liquid a bit better. It's to keep the yeast in suspension and equally mixed with all the sugars that are there to be fermented. And, uh, yeah, so he you know, says his, air. his last starter blew the F out. Um, and it was... <laughs> A product of CO2, so he assumed at some point oxygen must have gotten choked out and the yeast moved on to its next phase. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. 
I mean, I'd, I'd wonder how much yeast he's putting in and, uh, you know, how much starter work. Don't put too much yeast into your starters. You need enough work for them to grow. Yeah. Um, it sounds to me like you may may have too much wort in the flask, and so, you know, it's too deep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's all the way up in the neck, right. that may be too deep, and that's why why he's not getting um, a vortex or, mm-hmm. you know, or even just a dimple right. showing and as you're saying, you know, one reason we're putting on a stir plate is to, um, exchange, you know, bring the bring the wort continually to the surface and back down and uh, getting better aeration uh, of the yeast in suspension. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the croissant could block that to some extent, but uh, hopefully that uh, I think maybe it's just too deep and you're not getting right. a good exchange. Yeah, don't fill the, 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 if you're doing an Erlenmeyer, don't fill it all the way up. Leave it, you know, you want it only maybe half full or two-thirds full at most. So you need yeah. to get a big enough one to, so that you have more surface area uh, and that you're getting some effect of the stir plate. All right, let's, uh, let's see if we knock out. Uh, we got two questions left over from the yeast uh, Q&A. If we can get those in here real quick. Yeah, sure. Hey guys, I'm pretty drunk right now, so disregard any nonsense in what I'm about to ask. Oh, um, Steve, you haven't been drinking that much. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of modern times on tap right now. Can't blame me. If I make a starter with yeast nutrient, should I also use it in my brew, or does it have all it needs at that point? Are there yeast nutrients other than ammonium phosphate that I should consider? Just tell me everything I need to know about yeast nutrients, please. Thanks. The most important <laughs> nutrient everything. for yeast in an all-malt wort is zinc. Yeah. Zinc, oxygen. Those are your two things that you need. Um, otherwise, if it's all-malt, uh, there's plenty of free amino nitrogen. I mean, and assuming you're using water with minerals in it, you know, and there's magnesium and a few other things in there. Um, you just need zinc. Your your wort's going to be zinc deficient, and um, you know you need oxygen. So, uh, DAP or any of that other stuff, you don't want to use. You've got enough uh, free amino nitrogen. Right. Yeah. So, there's several several kinds of yeast nutrients. There's yeast hulls. There's um, the diammonium phosphate, which is basically fertilizer. And then you have the uh, zinc uh, supplemented yeast nutrients, which may contain any of the above. But uh, as Jamil says, the one thing you want to add is is zinc. If you add zinc to your starter, you don't want to add it to the uh, main wort as well. Uh, you can You can overdo zinc. Um, and if you do so, if you exceed like one ppm of zinc, uh, you'll start getting goat flavors, um, very oxidized flavors. Um, but it is it is critical for good uh, yeast reproduction and um, acetaldehyde reduction towards the end of fermentation. Yeah, so most most words are quite deficient in zinc. Um, that's the one thing you need to add. All the rest, nah. All right. Uh, last question. 
This one's from Andrew Selinski. Apparently we had his beer on the Vienna Lager Show. Cool. Um, I'm sure you've answered this question many times, but I keep seeing conflicting advice. Do you decant starters? Two liters slash four liters. I decant for my ales, but Alton Lager yeast tend to not flocculate well. I want to pitch at high Krausen and want as much yeast as possible, which means I should pitch the whole starter. I do not want the acetaldehyde and other stuff in the liquid, which means I should decant and pitch a thicker slurry. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, the starter wort itself is nasty. Um, if it's a stirred starter especially and done warm, I would avoid, you know, putting too much of that into your beer. If it's a starter that's made kind of like a beer, then that's fine to just throw all that in. Um, other than diluting whatever flavor profile you have of that, that recipe. So I'd just be careful about adding too much of spent starter word. I'd rather, especially in a big starter, I'd rather either make a small beer first and use the yeast from that or just put it in the fridge and let it settle out. Give it a day or two to settle out and then decant and then use the yeast after that. Or if you wanted a high croissant, you know, settle it in the fridge and then repitch the the yeast into a little bit of starter wort the the morning of your brew, and then it'll be at high croissant when you throw it in. So uh, that's that's how I'd go. That sounds good. There you go. You heard it from John. It sounds good. All right. Yep. Yep. I another agree. another fine show. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you, especially to our sponsors, uh, the ever-great uh, Mr. John Blickman at uh, BlickmanEngineering.com. Check him out. Check him out at the uh, the conference if you see him. Check him out at uh, all the events he's at, and especially check him out on the web. Uh, let your local homebrew shop know your interest in Blickman gear uh, if you're buying something new. And uh, send an email to uh, feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com and let them know how much you appreciate that they paid for this show. Uh, that way, you didn't have to pay for it, and you got all the goodies for free. Uh, check out the Brewing Network store, thebrewingnetwork.com slash store. There's all sorts of goodies in there. I think they have uh, fly swatters. They've got uh, uh, garbage bags. They've got um, coffee makers, coffee cups. Um, uh, they sell uh, ice cream makers on there now. Uh, all sorts of good stuff. And when you buy any of those, I mean, imagine a BN logoed ice cream maker. That's my favorite thing. That's perfect. That's and it's uh, what what like ten dollars. Yeah, really. it's really cheap. And you buy that, and that ten dollars goes to the bottom line of the Brewing Network and helps keep programming like this on the air. So check them out today, thebrewingnetwork.com/store. Until then, everybody, Bruce Strong. Bruce Strong, everyone.